Hello there. A quick note before we start. We did not know at the time of this recording, but guest host Karen had to sit out the rest of the season due to health issues, so uh, we wish her the best, and we will try to get some final thoughts from her on our final recap episode where we're going over the themes and things, but uh, that's really all we've got. We wish her good health. She seems to be doing better, but was unable to make the final recordings of these episodes. As is, you've just got Matt and I, and we'll continue to provide you with the show you're enjoying. Enjoy! You are listening to Boku no Stop, an anime podcast that will ask you to tell us your name if we forget who you are. I'm your host, Matt Marcus. My pronouns are he, him, and with me is... Sybil Arnett, she, her, and wow. It's <laughs> the first thing I went, I like reached for. Um, My throat, yes. We probably, let's, or we could, we could take that as a, uh, we would starve if we uh, ended up stranded on an unpopulated island. There, there yeah, you know what? This was just a happy week. <laughs> uh, like, look, I said at the end of last episode that we were going to get depressed <laughs> during this one. So that's true. It's a uh, pretty heavy stuff. So speaking of which, we're talking about flip flappers episodes four through six. And uh, content warnings for today's batch include um, Alzheimer's and just rough family dynamics. Uh, this is all like episode six, which... Uh, well, uh, I mean, hit me like a fucking sledgehammer, and I would imagine was not very different for you. It came out of nowhere on the first uh, viewing, and now it hits incredibly different for other reasons. Yeah, yeah. But with that, we're going to kick into episode four, Pure Equalization. Uh, we get our concept for the episode pretty quick. In Flip Flap HQ, Hidaka chides the girls for not having matching impedance. Uh, if you're actually looking at a screen later in this batch of episodes, one of the monitors mentions it as electrical impedance. That is the mm -hmm. thing that is being tested here. Uh, it's actually very funny because if you look on the computer screen, uh, Sayuri is actually just writing out, like in English, the definition of electric impedance. Yes. So I guess it's not a... Uh metaphysical thing it's literally just your bodies are at a different resonance with each other mm -hmm. electrically yeah also i forget if we called this out last episode we probably didn't but uh hidaka is actually a reference to uh, another thing related to exkel because mm -hmm. uh that is the name of a animal biologist who is like a professor and writer who wrote a like one of his claims to fame was that he wrote a book that kind of talked about umwelt and the concepts around it but for like a regular audience and the director read this book and that is how all of the umwelt stuff got brought into the series uh and the, the annoying thing is like i tried to find some writings by this guy who died like 10 years ago and mm. 
there's nothing of his in English. Like I could find some papers of his in Japanese, but his books and all of the other stuff he's written is Japanese language only, unfortunately. But yeah, so Hidaka is also a reference tied to all of the concepts in the show. It, I get the feeling that I need to do a deeper dive on every named character in this series <laughs> at some point, because yeah. half of them seem to be references like this to fields that I am unfamiliar with, and I'm sure the other half are probably artists or staff. Right. Mm. I mean, this show loves its references, is the thing. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, too, because, like, we're covering this show, and at the same time, on the side, like, I've been watching Review Starlight, and I'm, like, watching that show, and I've been, I'm, like, halfway through the anime. It's only 12 episodes. The movie's coming out, actually, in the States later this year. They're actually showing it in theaters, which is something. But, like, that show is so freaking shallow. Like, there's absolutely no depth to this show whatsoever and it's making me very disappointed in it and part of it is because when i look at a show like this there's a lot of depth and i assume there's also a lot more that i'm just you know not getting and it's going over my head but it's funny how like a show that doesn't really get a lot of attention like has a lot of intentionality put into it and it's it's not a cheap show. There's so no. much done with the animation styles. There's yeah. a segment in this episode uh, where the... No, it's the next one. Uh, the next one has our characters moving at different frame rates from the world around them at times. Mm, yeah, yeah. So they're they're doing things that entail a lot of work which I don't know how visible all of them are to the casual viewer. Yeah, I did not catch the uh, the thing with the different frame rates, but that's I, I am kind of a little bit blind when it comes to animation detail sometimes. Like, I can tell when something is, like, really high frame rate versus normal frame rate, but, like, a lot of the other stuff just kind of, like, washes over me, and I just kind of don't notice it. Yeah, that's Avatar 2. That's, that's when you're going to find <laughs> out. Oh, fun. Got to be 144 frames on the screen in your uh, theater. That's going to feel so uncanny. I know. It's going to make it feel more real. <laughs> that's that's bad, though. <laughs> Look, if there's one thing I've learned, never bet against James Cameron. That's true. I mean, it's going to do well, and people are going to like it, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily good, you know, high art. Oh, I don't think I will enjoy it, and I'm not spending a dime on it. But I've learned uh, you never bet against James Cameron. No, he's kind of too big to fail. And just kind of a mad genius. <laughs> I think that's the only way to describe everything that man has done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look, I respect that he decided to go to the bottom of the ocean just for Titanic. Yep. Like, that's, like, mad respect for that. To be fair, my man is horny for the ocean. <laughs> like as a, as a person look we can't talk about portrait of a fisherman's wife in two episodes today Sybil like I can't do it I can't do I was, it <laughs> I was gonna make it worse by just saying that the ocean is to James Cameron what feet are to Quentin Tarantino but <laughs> he's putting them uh, in every movie they get long lingering shots and occasionally something's wiggling so here's the thing 
at the very least, the ocean doesn't make me uncomfortable to look at. Oh, really? You're not one of the fuck the ocean, nuke it from orbit types? No, why would I? Ocean, the stuff that comes out of the ocean is delicious. So why would I want to nuke it? I love seafood. If you nuke it, you might get Godzilla fish. If you nuke it, it just stinks up the whole room and it's gross. (laughs) Anyhow, back to that opening scene. Uh, Kokoda and Papaka are assigned to live together for a few days so they can get on a better baseline with one another. And this is where we get our intro. Okay, the I, intro I don't know part. if it's appropriate to make a U-Haul lesbians joke here, but... U-Haul lesbians is a good descriptor of this entire aesthetic these two have going. Oh, dude, the pipe? <laughs> it's, it's a lot, the way they do this whole thing up. Oh, we'll get there. So, um... Kokona starts packing for her sleepover with Papika, but has not talked to her grandmother about it. And just like last episode, uh, she's kind of thinking, oh no, Grandma's going to turn me down. But Grandma's just like, okay, you talked with me, whatever. Mm-hmm. Grandma is becoming suspicious. <laughs> you know what? I When I was watching the show first, I was not suspicious. I was just like, oh, she's a good grandmother. She's letting her uh, granddaughter uh, spread her wings a little bit. And <laughs> then we find <laughs> no spoilers, but. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Are we letting her spread her wings, or are we just doing a different form of control with the grandmother who is always over her when she wakes up, has an assigned outfit for her at every time, and just mm-hmm. wants to know where you are? Just call. Yeah, I don't. I did not get red flags yet here, because like when I was watching this the first time, I was in Kokoda's headspace, which is like, she's such a rule-bound person, and she's always done what she was told, and now she's starting to ask for things for herself, or trying to act a little bit more selfishly, and she doesn't know if that's okay at all, because she's never had to deal with it before. Like, this is extremely what happens with, like, people who are, you know, grew up being, like, serious rule followers, like, like me. <laughs> so, like, Understood. I related to that struggle a bit. Up. Uh- I do have a note in here that says, this is where I realize I'm Kokona, so I'm not going to give you any guff about that, (laughs) but it might not be where you think. Hmm, fair. So uh, we repeat the dream from the first episode, Kokona on the boat. Uh, The only thing that changes is we now see a tree with a jail cell or surreal root structure. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this becomes important way later <laughs> yeah it does I. it's one of those things that yeah second viewing oh yeah this makes sense now but I, I do kick myself and go how did I not put that together sooner I totally missed this the first time too especially because like it's tucked at the end after like animation reuse essentially yeah and the next day both girls go to school. Papika has even been given a school uniform for this school. Yayaka, however, has disappeared from the building. Not in the nurse's office, didn't call out. Nobody knows what's up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a running gag here that Papika can't tie her uh, little neckerchief bow correctly, and Kokona will just correct it for her. My favorite is that, is that it doesn't look sloppy like you would think. 
She has right. tied it successfully, but she has put the tails off at completely wild angles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she doesn't care to fix it, is the yep. other thing. So, Kokona is walking through the uh, like the stairwell and like literally trips over uh, the art senpai, who is <laughs> uh, sitting down like against the wall with their legs out, which is an easy way to trip somebody who's not paying attention. Mm-hmm. And uh, they decide to hang out in the club room. And we find out that uh, the senpai is like, she's just very melancholy. Like, she just has a real quiet, sad vibe all the time. And it kind of comes out in her paintings, too. Oh, you mean you didn't think that the um, pitch black forest under crisis red skies last week was uh, an upbeat, (laughs) jarring incident? Well, I didn't think she painted it. That's No, they said it was one of hers. I, I somehow missed that part. I just thought it was just, she was just like, I like the painting too. Versus like, I made this painting and therefore I like it. Um, it yeah. It, if it explicitly said that she made it, then it also makes sense. But that's a huge, huge move. It is, yeah. We, we keep massive. cutting past it and it looks like a theater screen at some angles. Yeah, it is big. It would not fit in the in the club room. In the stairwell? Yeah. <laughs> So, Papika barges into the room and drags Coconut out. And then they run into Yayaka, who finds them in the hallway. And uh, they're going to confront her, but Yayaka's like, let's just take this somewhere else. We can't talk about this here. And out in the courtyard, Yayaka tells them that uh, she's been hunting for the amorphoses, the, uh, the shards, for a while. And she says, why don't we team up? And Papika's like, no, fuck that. We don't, we don't trust you. And when Coconut asks, why is Yayaka collecting the shards? What is that group of people doing with it? Yayaka says world domination. <laughs> Just straight up says it. And they're like, what? And she's like, oh, you don't get it. And she just walks away. I believe this is also the first time they drop the name Asclepius around the girls. I missed that, if that was the case. I have a note about it. I may be incorrect. I know we heard it last episode. Yeah, yeah. We heard them chanting it, but yeah. We, we still don't know why Yayaka is uh, allied with the uh, the clan robe people. <laughs> Which is the only way you can describe them. It really does have that vibe. Like, Granted, like, to be honest, it probably is closer to like those Catholic priest outfits that are used in like some of the processions in Spain. That's probably more directly the reference, but also they'd kind of hang out in front of a giant cross. Yeah. So, so uh, maybe half a uh, one or half a dozen of uh, one, half of the other. Yeah. So um, the sleepover is going to be held at Papika's house, which is not at Flip Flap HQ. It is in fact at the Concrete Pipe on school campus. And now this place looks like uh, a Discovery Zone exploded. I almost put Discovery Zone in the notes myself, and I'm like, that's too deep of a cut. (laughs) Uh, For those of you who are too young to remember, Discovery Zone was a competitor to chains like um, Chuck E. Cheese's, where instead of having a bunch of arcade games and things. It was a large indoor space that was basically just a small warehouse-sized building full of 
mazes and zip lines and ball pits and all sorts of things that kids could just run around and be active in without needing mm-hmm. to be outdoors. It was an interesting chain. I f- always forget the major company who bought in and took control of them and then they just cratered because they expanded too fast. But the Discovery Zone that I grew up around is no longer a Discovery Zone and is in fact now a combination motorcycle wholesaler and yeah. megachurch. You know, I wow. <laughs> the space was that big. It, it, they were big. There was one kind of near me. I don't know what it turned into now, but I, you know, somewhere in my house, I believe I have an old tin that has the tickets and the coins from Discovery nice. Zone. Maybe I threw that out at one point, but like I do remember having that somewhere in my possession well into my adulthood. <laughs> Understood. Yeah, yeah. But like yeah, like this place is like everything is like has a cushion on it and everything is like psychedelic colors and like she pulls out like this enormous shell that she painted and it's like, "Look, I got this from the beach." And it turns out it's an enormous hermit crab. Yep. The the <laughs> whole vibe <sighs> We're recording this on April 30th, a.k.a. Your House is So Empty Jack Day. So, uh, the contrast is very striking to me, because it's like Papika's soul exploded all over the walls of this barren concrete tomb. Oh, yeah. And, like, the outside is, like, done up with, like, leaves and stuff. Like, it's, um, I don't know, something out of Peter Pan. Yeah, she did that. She put a large pastel umbrella above the pipe's top. Uh, The whole thing has blanket fort straight out of a push-pop vibes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's much bigger on the inside (laughs) than the outside, because of course. Yep. Yeah, I've heard this um, pipe described as uh, very yonic, (laughs) especially when you go into it. Oh, yeah. Because it's like there's enough cushions on the intro. You have to like spread it open like coconut like spreads it open. The the plush walls that are on the outside of it when we look in at the girls. Yes. Yeah. 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 Definitely something there. Mm -hmm. So there's a quick montage. Uh, We see Wexkull has followed them and will be hanging out with Buchan for the rest of the episode. They make dinner. There's a I know this is technically fan service, but it's a very tame shower montage between the two of them. Well, so I mean, the it's really just a shot of Coconut, right? There's a, there's a full like pan up on Coconut as she's showering, and like Papika like peeks around the corner to be like, "Hey, I need some shampoo or something," and Coconut's like, "Go away! Don't look at me!" <laughs> like, yeah, uh, uh, but the thing is, this is actually plot important. It's true. Like this? A, a massive theme of this block of episodes is Kokona's desire to not be naked around Papika. Yeah, and how that makes her uncomfortable, but also how that she becomes more comfortable with it as it goes on. Mostly via Papika asking forgiveness, not permission. Hmm. <laughs> uh, so, the next day, they decide to pick up some breakfast and it's not going to be the same eggs they stole from a nest and mm-hmm. an enormous fiddle fern <laughs> yeah i couldn't remember if it was mushrooms or plants they're just like are these edible well you're eating it 
He's just like, just does not care at all about that. Although we find out later that she knows a lot about what she can and can't eat. And I, it's probably all from uh, having eaten it before and mm-hmm. having a bad time. You, you do wonder what some of her prior partners were like that any of this happened. Well, remember, one of them is probably dead. Yeah, I'm just saying, <laughs> how many how many people did Papika go through before we got to this cycle? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they, they fly out on the hover surfboard. They're going to get some food on a nice beach. And, unfortunately, they left the board... It constantly pops out of nowhere, usually, but no, it has physical space as it is dragged out into the sea and swallowed by waves. So, this is the Island Depression arc, and in that, this is exactly where I realized that I am incredibly coconut, because it turns out the thought of being stranded on an island with someone I... I don't think we could say barely know at this point, but are mm-hmm. definitely not super close to. Uh, would The only thing that would be freaking me out is what am I going to do about my job? I have responsibilities. I have a test tomorrow. Yeah. That's Kokona. That's me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing is, like, she's extremely out of her element, and she's like, to her credit, she's trying to make good. Like, I think like the coconut of a few episodes ago would just have a meltdown and be done. Yeah. But you know, she's bought in enough to put in the effort, but the fact that she's not good at it, like she tries to reach this like red berry and like, she's leaning over, she manages to grab it, but then she falls down and and ends up crushing it in her hand. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this is where she runs into Papika and they basically have a discussion where they like, both end up expressing admiration for each other for the things that they're not personally good at. Like Papika has survival skills to know that you didn't want to eat that berry anyway, uh, she says, but doesn't say that's poisonous. And also, hey, yeah, I found some food that we could eat over here. It's pretty good. We're going to be covered. Mm -hmm. The the thing that is kind of weird about this is that, like, Papika gets coconut back in a better mood because she's like oh you can do so many things that i can't do like you study well and you know how to tie the ribbon on this uniform correctly and this kind of cheers coconut back up but the thing about it is it's really she's being praised for being like a rule follower and someone who's really like sucked in the rules of society and is very like rigid about it and like I guess there's something to be said about being able to perform well in that context, but it is kind of an interesting thing that she's being praised for it. And that is what kind of shakes her a little bit out of her funk. Hmm. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but. (laughs) Uh, I definitely think that I would not bounce back so much for this. I would just be a neurotic wreck in this scenario. So I I think the coconut Mm -hmm, comparison mm -hmm. doesn't work so much, but. I'm also not a magical girl as of yet who yeah. has already been to the Dune planet fighting Fist of the North Star junkies. So so look, all you really need to do is you need to find an, an item and get your, you know, your little catchphrase and then you could transform. It'll work out eventually. Just keep trying. 
I feel like the last thing anyone wants is me trying to perfect a catchphrase on these recordings. (laughs) That would certainly be something. I mean, I'm the editor on this series, so it's not like I can't remove every failed attempt, but it's definitely kind of come out of nowhere if in the middle of episode 12 I just scream out two magic words and suddenly you hear but do not see a transformation sequence. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, they have another bathing scene here together, and, like, this time, like, you know, they're on the island, right? So they, like heated up some water and like put it in like this giant i guess it looks like a trash can like an enormous like it's definitely a trash so this island is supposed to be marooned but there's signs that there was definitely something here at one point there's a big concrete dock on one side yeah there's this trash bin but we don't see anyone we don't see anything go by other than a jet overhead it's curious yeah, it's kind of like no one lives there, but maybe people visit every now and then. Like maybe like you have to like get on a boat, get mm-hmm. ferried over or something. Like there there are places, there are like little parks in D.C. that are like that. I think like Roosevelt Island or something where like people go to it, but people don't live there. And so if you get stuck there, you're stuck. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody's coming by in two days to tow you back. Yeah, exactly. But uh, the notable thing here is that they're they get in the tub, this like makeshift tub together, and like they're like Coco is like don't look at me, I'll face the other way. But this is progress from before where she's like, get away from me, I don't want to be near you, mm-hmm. <laughs> like while I'm naked. And but uh, Papika is questionable on. I don't want to say consent because that's not what's going on here. But the request is do not look at me while I'm bathing. So Papika climbs into the tub with her back to Kokuna. Yeah. Which is totally fulfilling that request. Right. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is that Papika has no boundaries and wants to be very close with Kokuna at all times and doesn't acknowledge or just not aware of the fact that there should be boundaries until Kokuna tells her. But, you know, she's listening a little bit. It We skipped over it, but when they fell asleep the night before in the pipe, like, Poppy Guy is completely naked. Like, she, she's, like, you know, again, like, an embodiment of id. Like, she doesn't even think that's weird. And Kokoda is, like, still getting used to that. Yeah. <clears throat> There's also, like, a gag where, like, they like the thing sprouts leaks and they got to, like, try to plug it. And it's looking like they're going to be naked and not submerged in water at the end. Anyway, they cut away from that pretty quickly. <laughs> and they're falling asleep under, like, a makeshift lean-to, like, looking up at the stars and Papika says, like, oh, there's no shooting stars today. That's that's a bummer. Uh, what would you wish for, though? And Kokona says that she wants to see her family again and says that uh, her parents died in an accident when she was young. Well, this discussion goes from what would you wish for on a shooting star to Kokona yeah. probing Papika about what will you wish for if we get all the shards from Pure Illusion? Oh, right. Yeah, it is tied to the... You know, yeah, because I, when Kokoda says I want to see my my dead family again, <laughs> I would it's assume like, that uh, that you need pure illusion for that to happen. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, funny thing about that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Papika says, uh, "Well, I was able to find the person I most wanted to be with, so I believe that you will be able to get what you want, and you'll be able to see them again." And now that we've had all of the character building, 
We just make a raft off screen. Yeah. Yeah. They say, let's make a raft tomorrow. And then they make a raft tomorrow. And it, you know, it's going well. They're feeling pretty good about themselves and their, their, their impedances align enough so that it just opens up pure illusion. Uh, The sun gets covered up in what looks like an eclipse and turns basically into the black hole sun video where everyone's getting sucked up into it. Yep. And uh, they get sent to pure illusion there. And as they are sort of crossing that boundary, the girls hold hands and promise each other that they will never leave each other's side. And I, I forgot that there was like two or three trips into pure illusion between episodes that we don't see. I thought this was going directly into what's going to happen next episode. So I thought this was more directly plot important, but it's actually kind of plot important that they like. It's building. Yeah. Well, it's tied to like the class S stuff mm-hmm. is the thing. Because that, that is extremely like a class S move. But elsewhere, we see that the uh, creepy twins and Yayaka are also like they're off doing their own thing and they get a sort of a beeping on their phone telling them to go to pure illusion. And that's the end of episode one. There's no post credit scene this time out. Uh, we're starting to move away from those. I do wonder if there was some pushback from the studio or people watching. I don't think they would have turned it around that fast, but it's still something that I do wonder. Yeah, and it's possible. Like, none of these episodes have post-credits. Yeah. And so we get into episode five, Pure Echo, which is probably my highlight of this batch. I think it's probably the best episode of the show. I could... I could easily give you that. I haven't finished a rewatch, but so far this is the standout among what I've seen. I'm up to seven. It's it's such a good, like, satire and parody, but also being commentary at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's just a very good, like, like, they do the horror part really well, but they don't, like, oversell it. Like, it's also still funny while it's also being scary. Yes. Did you watch... Uh, subbed or dubbed on this one? Uh, I did not go back and watch the dub this time. Okay, cool. So uh, I'll have to ask you a question because I had dub on for this one. Gotcha, gotcha. Is the dub good on on this one? Incredibly. They really have fun with the uh, school children. All right, I'm definitely going to rewatch this then. Oh yeah, the school children. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Yep. Anyhow, uh, so this is Pure Echo and we kick off with a blood red clock tower face and a scribble at 12 o'clock as it strikes midnight. But this won't come up again for a few minutes because we're back at Flip Flap HQ where the girls are investigating a bunch of souvenirs they've brought back from adventures, uh, by which I probably mean things that Papika shoved in her pocket. It, it mm-hmm. has a lot of that vibe. It, it looks like a lot of stuff that they got from the beach, actually. There's a lot of shells. Yeah, all of it is beach-related, and that's why it makes it very easy to think that this comes directly after the last episode. Yeah, like, there's just some bits here and there, yeah, that it feels like the episode, like, connective tissue is just not connecting, and it makes everything seem like the continuity is just fucked, like, and that's part of the result of the production problems. I do start to wonder at this point if the show was expected to be double length and was cut back. It's possible. But also, uh, this is a series that has a lot of 
obfuscation about it, so it's not like I'm going to find any answer. Yeah. Oh, Pure Illusionist wrote this? Well, gee, I wonder what their interviews are like. <laughs> so yeah, the, the goal is that since Yayaka's team uh, have wrecked shop in Pure Illusion twice and stolen shards from the girls, uh, there's just a quick montage of this happening in screenshots, uh, they're going to try and further develop their feelings together because the power of Yuri is wonderful. Oh, by the way, I bought the new Neptunia game, speaking of the power of Yuri. so that <laughs> There's a new one? Of course there's a new one. Uh, yeah, Neptunia Virtual Stars, where you have actual Japanese VTubers involved. Huh. Yeah. You know, I just... The whole VTuber thing, I've never felt so I am out of touch with, like, what's cool and now than whenever people start really gushing over VTubers and their relationships and all this other shit. I'm like... Like, if you, ex like, explain it to me, okay, it's just what if a streamer, but also playing a character. And I'm like, okay, that makes a sense. Like, I get it. But then when I, I've, like, the few times I've tried to watch a clip or something, or someone's like, oh, check this out. This was so funny. And I watch, I'm like, is this another language? I, I mean, it is. It's usually Japanese. But, like, I just am not on the wavelength to understand and appreciate this. And I, it makes me feel old. <laughs> so... The thing you need to realize, and part of how I will tie this back into discussion of Flip Flappers, is that uh, streaming VTubers, the actual represented ones, not just randos who now have a rig, uh, is very much idol culture, but repackaged yeah. in a slightly edgier format. That's what it seems like, and that's probably part of the disconnect. <laughs> that and, like, they put out albums and sh Like, apparently, I should probably send you the link to this Sybil, but apparently one of the VTubers put out a shoegaze album and it's supposed to be pretty good. Yeah. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Let me dig that up. <laughs> well, while you do that, I will kick us off here because, uh, yeah, the girls are trying to align better with the power of Yuri, which, you know, that's definitely going to be a thing that saves the world in the end. Let's not even pretend otherwise. This is a 13-episode series. There's only a few things they can use that haven't been foreshadowed so far. The hope is that they can transform, which the other kids can't do. The other children are just using little robot suits. And so whatever's going on with our heroines is something very different. But... The two do take two items. Um, I believe it is a shell in the case of Papika and an incredibly smooth stick for Coconut. It looks like a wand. Yeah, yeah they, they say it's... Uh, Hidaka calls it a uh, conductor's baton. Gotcha. And, uh, okay, so they say wand in the... Uh, okay. Dub. Yeah, yeah. in the sub, they call it a baton or a conductor's baton. And it's a, it's a shell neck or bracelet that... Uh, Papika wears. Right, right. Yeah, hers is hers is more passive and worn. Also, I found it. It's uh, the VTuber's name is uh, Mito Tsukino, and the album is called uh, Fuyukan UFO. Sold. I put it. I put it in the uh, recording text. Thank you. I will look at that when we're done. But uh, I do want to call out. There's an interesting dichotomy here that's continuing. Everything about Papika's powers is the opposite of what you'd expect out of her personality. It's defensive. It's worn. It's not something she wields. 
She just does it and it's there, including the shields, which, you know, we'll see her use in a couple of fight scenes through this episode. But Kokonaz is something that has to be drawn. It's Mm -hmm. external to her. Like, you can't just casually have that bracelet. You can't have that wand, baton, etc. on and just casually throw it out. You need to make a motion. And like her powers, it's a much more external change tool. Yeah, it's like they they flip a switch and they alternate. Up to and including <laughs> their hair colors basically swapping. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, the thing is, you have to be paying attention to their hairstyles being slightly different. That's the really only way to tell them apart. Yep. Uh, it, it, it very much like, if this were on Dynasty Scans, it would have the reversal tag, basically. Yep. Probably a little bit of enemies to lovers in places. Oh, oh yeah. The d- opposites attract, for sure. Mm-mm-mm. That's true. T- somewhere our missing third host is sitting here going, what? I'm tingly. <laughs> but once everything has been assembled, the girls find themselves through the dumbwaiter into pure illusion again, and this time... They are by the footlockers of their school with the lights off. It's raining outside, there's a thunderstorm, and a creepy schoolgirl appears in the darkness who's just Yayaka and goes, hey, you're here. Yeah, and she's got her, like, hair done up differently, too. Like, she's in, like, double pigtails. And a much more ornate uniform. Yeah, like, you know what? This uniform looks like the ones from Ava. And it's mostly because of the tie. Uh, yeah, the top looks like a... The bottom is a giant... Fuck-off long skirt. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is... There's a lot going on with this that we'll get into. Uh, but when Coconut points out, like, your clothes, your uniform, Yaika just kind of walks off in a huff, and then she disappears around the corner in the school. Mm-hmm. So Coconut and Papika are roaming through the halls, and we get a whole lot of horror tropes here. Uh, we get, like, there's spooky faces looking through the windows. Uh, there's, uh, like, really hard Dutch angles in some shots. Uh, like, Papika sneaks up on Kokona somehow and freaks yes. her out. Um, and eventually they open a classroom door and they see a bunch of girls working together embroidery and they're all turned away from them. One of them turns around and we see that her eyes and her mouth are all scribbled out in black and says in a, an extremely distorted voice, uh, good day, uh, which in Japanese anyway. And okay, like, gotcha. Pl- please, please cut this audio in from... Hello there. Greetings to all. Konnichiwa. <laughs> <laughs> I will cut both of them in because okay. the thing that they are saying in English is greetings to you. Oh, that just that's weird. <laughs> and it they start repeating it as the girls do through the episode. Yeah, it's so, the only thing they these girls say the entire episode. No, no, no. I mean our our protagonists, they'll start using that to respond back. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They start rep- yeah, when they when they get into the loops and stuff. But like the the creepy girls only say this and Yes, that's all they will repeat. The audio processing and like how high this is up in the mix, it's like pretty damn loud. 
and it was pretty startling the first time I hear it, I heard it, but it's super effective. It's all bass in the dub. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. In the, in the sub, it is extremely gra- grainy distorted. Yeah. That's so yeah, good. I'll, I'll splice those in here because, yeah, it's an interesting comparison of how you get to the same point, but playing around with a different range. Yeah. Yeah. But this uh, freaks the girls out, uh, and Papika tries to use her bracelet to transform, and she fails, and then <laughs> Coconut's like, Papika, turn right over there. And the little girl's like standing right next to her and again says, good day, and they scream and run down the halls in a like Looney Tune-like fashion. There's something fascinating about this, because no harm seems to come to them via these girls or the circumstances they're in but well they well okay here's the thing what happens outside is very different but the girls themselves are portrayed as malicious if you are resisting but otherwise they're incredibly chill yeah yeah it, it it's a nice switch on expectations right like there's a lot of playing the horror tropes, but there's also playing against the horror tropes. Well, it's not... It's half horror tropes, half societal femininity tropes. You're in you're uh-huh, in with the crowd, uh-huh. or you're the thing that gets focused on, brought to bear, scorned. Yeah, yeah. And that ties into the whole theming, the, the non-horror side of the theming here, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll talk about when we get into the loops in a second, but... The girls try to get outside, like they go through where the front door would be. It's locked. They try to go up to the roof, but it looks like part of the stairwell is like this giant abyss, but they're able to sneak around it. They get to the roof, and they're in the rain, and they think they're they're good, but all of a sudden they start bleeding in like a really gory manner. And it's, it's actually pretty tastefully done, considering... Uh, but it's really creepy. And then they both fa- fall down, supposedly dead. Well, it seems to be because when you see them cutting between the shots, at first it's rain, then the rain becomes blood, and that's what knocks them out. And they don't explain how. No. Because we cut to Papika, who's suddenly bloody, from Coconut. And then when we cut back to Coconut, all the water that was on her has turned into blood and she passes out. Yeah. Anyhow, that's the last time they go outside. (laughs) Yeah. So the pair wake up in an incredibly fancy tub together. And uh, I don't even know if Papika is awake first. She just seems way more comfortable with this based on her pose. Koken is like, what the hell? And that's her Mm -hmm. wake up noise. Which, you know, same. Uh, (laughs) And again, bathing together again. Yep. But uh, once again, Papika has her back to Kokona. She's just sort of leaning on the edge of the tub where Kokona's under the surface spread out more. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the students are just chilling outside, but they don't make any noise. Well, they do make the usual noise, but they don't startle them. It's just... Suddenly, they basically throw a towel over the duo. And they get new uniforms. Uh, Buchan. Buchan's eyes. There's a lot you could read into this. <laughs> oh, oh, like just making the subtext text. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah his, like... his eye starts here with the uh, two female symbols intertwined. Uh-huh. We taught the robot gender. <laughs> and he's wearing a bow. Yep. Yeah. yeah, you gotta you gotta blend in with everything. Mm-hmm. So they start following the uh, the Scribble Girls around, and they head through. You know, it's still the same school building they go to, just all in darkness, no matter what time of day. And well, I mean, the the weird thing actually, th- there's a point where it transitions from their school to a different school. And they they cross a threshold, and there's even like a uh, like a reverse, like they invert the colors for a second shot. Got it. And the idea is like they are leaving that school, and they're entering this very like baroque European style, like extremely class S school. Mm-hmm. And that's where like the cycle really starts. So yeah, they go through just i don't know if stereotype they go through a lot of yuri tropes through yeah this day you know, european style school uniforms uh a blush induced by pricking your finger while baking an embroidered lily and your partner sucking the blood uh-huh um again lilies everywhere uh we we cut through communal reading in the library do we ever see what coconut is reading i don't no we don't see what coconut is reading we see what papika reads and what buchan is reading <laughs> yeah papika is reading a massive children's encyclopedia <laughs> that's very funny and i do not have buchan's book written down i want to say it's like recipes for something so got it so like the thing is, this turns into a loop, and it's the same day every single time. Like, they wake up, they say, like, the girls say hi, and they say hi back. They, they do all the have tea together. They have tea, they have cookies, they do embroidery, they get the, you know, the finger prick and suck happens again. Mm-hmm. And, like, this is all extremely, like, we've, I've said class ass a couple of times, I've not explained what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and you it's should probably like, take a moment. Yeah, so, like... The class S thing, it started years and years ago, mostly with the writings of um, uh, Yoshia Nobuko, who was a really interesting character. Uh, she was a, an out lesbian writer who became one of the most popular writers in like the early modern era, like the 1910s, 1920s. Mm-hmm. And one of the things she wrote a lot about is uh, schoolgirls and the relationship between basically like taking these this setting that like kind of happened during the early modernization of Japan where they were taking in Western ideals, they started setting up these schools that were like very like Catholic school esque. And the stories were set in there were mostly like these kind of pseudo romantic, like sometimes they weren't like fully explicitly romantic, but they were like very heavily romantic relationships between the students there that were supposed to be like sisterly like relationships and mm-hmm. this was tied a lot to like the cultural norms where the idea was these relationships were like practice for like having a real quote unquote real heterosexual adult relationship when they graduated and got older and would get married and have kids. And 
that was considered like a regulatively regular regular kind of normal progression through puberty. And the thing about that is part of the reason why this setting is so interesting and why it's tied to horror is that like in even in like modern society, the idea is that kind of relationship, like these kinds of like really intense, like romantic feelings between girls was only like tolerated and allowed in this setting in this time of your life. And the second you fight against that and try to keep doing that outside of that setting or try to go out to the real world, that's when things become a problem. And like this setting reinforces that, that like if you want to have these feelings or indulge in these feelings, you can't progress out of this stage of your life. And that's why like it's pretty much a commentary of like, okay, class S, this is like the horror side of class S, especially if you're someone who has these types of, uh, you know, feelings for people of the same gender. Well, particularly women in this case. That's part of the reason why this episode is like super, super interesting is that all that sort of cultural subtext that's woven in and it's like explicitly treated as horror, which is super interesting as well. Yep. Yeah. And they get stuck in this loop. And the thing is, as these loops go on, like Papika is like, happier than a you know pig and shit and like she just buys into it more and more and more um yeah yeah kokoda starts to resist it in part because yayaka shows up and basically shit talks kokoda for her lack of resolve um basically saying like why are you collecting these shards what is this what does this mean to you and kokoda's like oh well you know i just like it's kind of fun sometimes you know to her it's not a serious endeavor even though the stakes can be pretty high and we should also comment on the lack of seriousness of Kokona. The portion last episode where she flashed back to the spider woman in episode three telling yeah. her she was empty inside and hollow. Yeah. That's that's a criticism that stuck with Kokona now. Yeah, yeah. We do see that in this scene. And Yayaka just gives her some advice saying, oh, you have to get out of here before the twelfth chime of the clock tower. And then says, you're afraid of failure, aren't you? And walks away. And it also implies that Yayaka has not been caught in the loops. Or, like, the loop it hasn't, like, seduced her into living that life over and over again. Like, living that day over and over again. Because, you know, she has the resolve. She's there for a purpose. And so she's not as affected by pure illusion. Well, there's that and also... Yayaka seems like she has the exact same issue as Coconut from the different angle to me. Mm. Because Coconut is letting herself be dragged into things by Papika and her infectious enthusiasm and constant energy. Yayaka is staying aloof and distant from everything and putting herself apart up to and including the fact that her squad is entirely willing to abandon her because that's just part of the job. We know how this works. And it's... Yeah. There's no connection instead of letting yourself go to the connection. You need a balance between those two points, which is probably why these two are also learning from each other throughout this arc. But there's a whole alternate angle there where Yayaka is just dispassionate to a fault but not as dispassionate as her comrades right and we find out why later 
But yeah, it's definitely noticeable like through these episodes that Yayaka has more feelings than she's letting herself feel. I mean, we saw that in the first episode, right? Mm -hmm. When she grabs Kokona's arm and is yeah. going to say something and then decides not to. Yep. Uh, she's definitely more invested in Kokona's well-being than she lets on. Um, and in part, that's why she's here and giving her advice of how to get out of here. So yeah, Kokona is afraid of, of failing, uh, of failure, and uh, also still thinks that she doesn't really have any substance to her, which to some degree is true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, but this kind of gives her a little kick in the ass. And then Kokona starts trying to drag Papika out of her sort of reverie and to really start looking for the shard. And, uh, at one point they start looking around at the, you know, at the end of the night, they're looking around the halls and they see all these rooms that are like, they're marked in numbers, but in blood. <laughs> Yep. And it looks like there's supposed to be a 12th one, but they don't see it. There's just a, there's a wall there. And it turns out that this is a false wall and there's a way to get through it. Like she, Papika notices there's a draft. And so like, there's definitely something on the other side, but they run out of time and the creepy girls show up uh, It sneaks up behind them. And like the animation on this is so good. <laughs> they appear like a wave just rushing forward yeah. as one in the hall. Yeah, and it, like at times they like they'll change the the rate at which they move, like they accelerate, but like in chunks as yeah. like they cut back and forth. It's really good. Yeah, this is one of the frame rate ones in the okay. loop. Um, uh, Buchan especially is animated at an entirely different rate than everything around them. Ah, you know, Buchan also buys into the whole thing and does the uh, the good day voice. Uh, which was really creepy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, again, they they gave the robot gender in this episode, and mm -hmm. it, it goes places just using that as a contrast to really make this whole cycle even more jarring. Yeah. Uh, also, there's a creepy doll in their room, and every night, Kokona, like, turns its head to the side so it's not staring at them, and it wakes up the next day, and it's staring at them again, and it's... I'm glad they didn't do more with the creepy doll because I was definitely prepared for it. So it, it's just there. As I get it, the creepy doll is the person who's the center of this pure illusion. Yeah, that was something I wanted to bring up. I was probably going to bring it up at the end of these episodes is mm -hmm. how does this tie into our like theory before of like we're going to individual people's mind spaces to some degree. I and mean, this is this is the one where it's like, Maybe that this is Coconut again, or maybe this is Coconut plus Papika. It's kind of vague. Well, if you do the horror aspect, you could also just say this is a collective unconscious of everyone at this school yeah. who wants yeah. to have more than this, but they're just sort of trapped in this. Well, right. it's just a it's just a phase. It's just a yeah. young thing. It, mm -hmm. It's got to go this way. These things don't happen outside of story. It makes sense in that light. When you yeah, finally I, put that to rest, the doll closes its eyes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, the, the funny thing about it, like, I think the further we go in, yeah, we get further away from being, this is clearly a one-to-one -one re like, relationship, a pure illusion to a character. And it feels like there are, yeah, it's more of like a collective unconscious. And then there's like little pockets within that that are individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, which is super interesting. But yeah, they get swarmed by the girls and they scream and then the day resets. 
So yeah, uh, the last chunk of this goes pretty quickly. They start repeating until they finally get the door open, and our heroines discover. Oh yeah, uh, Yayaka and her crew were already back here, so we're we're still playing catch up. Clearly, they might not be caught in the loop the same way, but they're just as stalled out on progress. Right, because yeah. until our flip flap girls get in here. They never make it to the clock tower. Mm-hmm. I, I love the very direct shining reference here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, because like Buchan is going through the halls and it's the same shot of Danny on the tricycle, like on the big wheel. And then uh, he turns a corner and then there is uh, there's the twins holding hands like like in the shining. That's their introduction to the episode in the episode. <laughs> For what it's worth, this was less direct to me because I've also been watching a lot of Pop Team Epic and uh, I had <laughs> never I had never seen the April Fool's special where they explicitly just do Re- First Blood Rambo and Easy Rider at different points in those episodes. Oh, funny. Yeah. Uh, up to and including uh, Popico coming in and or no, PP me coming in and getting Papiko out of a convenience store surrounded by cops, where she's just going on about all the people whose legs were lost searching on the battlefields of Nam. It's like, yeah, no, th- this is not a direct reference. <laughs> yeah, the the funny th- Pop Team Epic is one of those that I feel like I want to check it out, but I feel like I don't have enough exposure to like. Uh, like enough anime or manga to get all of the references and get the most out of it. Like a lot of it, I feel like would go over my head. Is that the case or am I just overthinking it? It's 50% absurdist humor. As it goes on, it starts getting more direct in some of the references, but it's still pop team. Epic is the yin to flip flappers yang in that it's a lot of different animators and creative teams doing short bits Mm-hmm. with a slight thread of plot through them but uh-huh. like are you familiar with the art collective ac boo no okay um there was a video that you would probably know them from uh gallo sengen does it ring a bell okay yeah they they are basically you can tell they are talented animators because they make mistakes in such a way that it's very apparent you have to know what the mistake you're making is to do it this wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like, they have a brilliant style to think. Like, they'll over-animate things in this loop of five disconnected frames, or uh, something they did in one video is they very clearly layer every object as different layers in the animation. And normally that would be, oh yeah, no, that's perfect. You you have the eyes under the eyelids on top of the face. But then they disconnect them in 3D space so that you can see them all popping as they oh, turn no. to the side. The- yeah. Oh no. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant in how it's done. So things like that, they just get to do running segments where they can redo the jokes other people did in adapting the four coma stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's original stuff in there, too. Like, there's a little story per episode. But they get to play with it and just basically shitpost all over. And it's so good. Okay. I, I might have to 
put this on the list. Uh, it's on Crunchyroll in both the original and the rebroadcast versions, if you want to mess with it. Yeah, I there's just so many shows that I need to get back to and, like, wrap up, and God, I still have... Well, they're only 11 minutes per. That's true. That's true. That's true. I might have to, like, throw a few of those in every day until I, yeah. I'm caught up. Yeah, I still haven't gone back to Legend of Galactic Heroes. I'm at, like, episode 64 out of 110. <laughs> So yeah, the the quintet and robot are now climbing the clock tower. And at this point, the whole thing turns from, oh yeah, this is a very spooky episode into the animation showcase that they do in all of these because the gears are disconnected from twin mm. spiral staircases are disconnected from machinery up and down this tower which has grown into a malicious red void and you can occasionally see the clock faces from behind and the gears are kind of interconnected but not and everyone is running up parallel rooms and also did you know there's this all-consuming force of these tentacle arms trying to hold you down the whole way at the bottom mm-hmm wild there's a lot going on. It was hard to like put this into notes without making it like just too. Oh, and this happened, and this. Happened. <laughs> yeah, like there, there's a pendulum that falls, and like they try, like they destroy at one point. Uh, like it, it's definitely like Dreamscape Castlevania Clock Tower, but also yeah, yeah it, it's. I wouldn't quite say it's non-Euclidean space, but it's definitely like Dream Logic space. So. The best description I have to use actual Castlevania logic on this, there was a single Genesis Castlevania game, Bloodlines. It was made by yep. the people who would go on to become Treasure. And if you know Treasure, they like to push the Genesis hardware in ways that used a lot of sprites to do impressive effects, basically showing off, look how good we are at coding. Gunstar Heroes, Alien Soldier, etc., one of the phases of that game, which has you running across Europe instead of just being in the castle, so they played with a lot of conventions, is you get to a place that has the clock tower-like thing, but instead of going inside and running on the gears, you are climbing the spire on the outside with stairs that are in a rotation around the screen, and you can see the enemies that are going to be ahead of you as they cycle back to the foreground and you're running until you get to the top of the tower where you just have this rotating fight against a flying demon. Yeah. This is that whole vibe where yeah. you can see the girls at opposite ends of this staircase on different chunks of the screen. But also when you see it from above, it's a large round run. But also, etc., etc. You know, it, it's funny you mentioned Bloodlines because uh, when I went to Japan, I, I it was my birthday during that trip, and uh, we planned it so that we would be in Nagoya so we could go to uh, Alex Fraioli's uh, video game bar, Critical Hit. And the mm -hmm. game I played that night was uh, Castlevania Bloodlines, and I got to the final boss, and I just couldn't beat the last phase uh in like that sitting and I didn't realize that was like the very end and when I found out later I'm like shit I should have given it like two more tries yeah it's that game's hard it is incredibly uh, treasure did not fuck around no good game though oh yeah it's great it's 
very distinct in the Castlevania canon for a lot of reasons, and uh, I'm very fond of it. The, the funniest thing about it, I don't know if you're familiar with, like, no, no more Whoppers and I am, all yeah. of that. Okay. I, I love Ray Barnhold. Okay, okay. Yeah, because uh, I have a, you know, a couple pictures of me and Alex when I was at the bar that night, and uh, one of them is of us taking birthday shots, and that's kind of funny now, considering that he's been dry for, like, two years now. Yep. So a little awkward to look back on, but it was a good night. Understood entirely. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of action that happens here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, the girls transform throughout this. Uh, there's a lot of ping ponging up and down this tower. The interesting thing is that everyone is trying to ascend, but Yayaka is abandoned by the twins. The twins don't seem to make any headway. They just seem to be stuck in a firm middle of this whole segment. It is only when Papika launches them out of the bottom in her barrier, and then Kokona finally succeeds in transforming. And this time, Pure Blade has not brought a sword to bear. She turns her weapon into a massive hammer and strikes the bell, landing the twelfth ring and breaking the cycle. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Everything is different until you can be the agent of change is uh, a lovely way to go about this ending. Yeah. Yayak and... asks when they all walk out of this. Uh, she actually pulls the pair out because the girls cannot flip-flap their way out of this collapsing tower. And they all end out outside the little bunker on the hill on their weird camp. At some point, we need to just take a moment and try and explain what the hell this campus is, by the way. Yeah, it's kind of hard to say because it looks like a normal school, except like the grounds outside are like oddly intricate. <laughs> yeah, there's this little bunker underground that we've gone into a couple times. There's the garden that has the robot vacuum under the statues. There's... <laughs> The clearing that is off-limits that has the pipe Papika may or may not be living in. There's... And yeah. in the first episode, Kokona walks past all of these things, but in a contiguous manner that makes it seem more normal. Until you start seeing all of these disconnected from one another, and it's like, wait a second. Yeah, it's a really interesting design. Uh, yeah. Especially when, like, it got turned into a, <laughs> a horror school for a second. Yeah. Yeah, that, like, there are some shots earlier where, like, you see, like, the shadow version of the school and then, like, the lightning flashes and you see the real version of the school, like, for a second and then it fades back out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some nice touches there. Yeah, it's a really weird, weird space. And, like, I, I think as you go, like, it's probably a good idea to think pretty hard about is this should be considered normal or is this artificial to some degree because it, it is bizarre so in the aftermath from this uh yayaka tries getting kokona to hand over the shard which our girls did keep this time but she refuses and yayaka asks do you finally have any resolve and the pair say they will not give up and Yayaka's just like, fine, we're leaving. Mm -hmm. And 
hey, we got a win. It's the first time in a while. Yeah. You know, something I, I forgot to bring up that, like, in the clock tower, Yayaka only fights with Papika. Right? Yes. And, like, that, I feel like that's a pretty important thing is that Yayaka doesn't seem, as far as we've seen, challenge Kokona directly, at least in a physical fight. She only fights uh, Papika. And, and yeah, like, it feels like she's got this attachment to Kokona that she's not really speaking to. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's going, yeah, that's the yeah. underlying narrative. That's the yeah. whole weakness in Team Asclepius is that we have this unresolved angle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it comes up again in this next episode, Pure Play. Yep. So in Flip Flap HQ, um, Hidaka is uh, getting his mad science on, uh, working on Buchan's brain. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. And yeah, just uh, to remind you, oh yeah, this robot actually has a whole living human brain inside of it. Yeah. <laughs> this will come up in a big bad way next episode we record. Mm-hmm. Uh so Coconut asked Dr. Soul, like, hey, uh, how many of these shards do we need to find? And he's like, if I tell you, would it make you do a better job of getting them? <laughs> and Coconut is like, Yeah, pretty much. Uh and he says, like, all of them. <laughs> And Coconut is just like, yeah, fuck that. And just walks off in a hop. <laughs> you ass. Yeah, it's such a such a dick thing to say. I mean, mm-hmm. it could be true, but you could tell like he's kind of like milking it for fun. Uh, and that goes into the intro. And when we come back, we get another reprise of the boat dream. And she wakes up from it. We don't see the tree this time. But Coconut says that, oh, wow, this dream keeps happening a lot. But I keep forgetting it after I wake up. Well, because her grandmother is sitting over her with a change of clothes when she wakes up again. Yeah, this is the first time I feel like she wakes up with her grandma in the room already. Because before she, like, wakes up and then the grandma rolls in. But this one, like, she's already there, uh, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, So at the school, Kokona and Papika visit the art senpai, who we find out her name is uh, Iridori. uh, Iroha Iridori, as we'll Mm -hmm. find out. Uh, because, you know, I don't know if that is a reference to anything. I did not look it up. But I did not see any mention of it. Yeah. It's just a cute kind of, uh, like, repetitive name. Yep. Uh, they bake some cookies in home at class, and uh, they wanted to give them to her. And uh, it, it's funny to me that uh, it is Papika makes perfectly shaped cookies, and coconuts, like, taste fine, but they're, they're really ugly. <laughs> yeah, that, that was interesting. Collapsed. Yeah. But Papika doesn't want to enter the club room because it smells of nail polish. And Iridori says that it's because of this painting I've been working on. I have these I have these nail polishes and I was using it on the painting. Uh, and when Kokon is like, oh, do you ever wear this? And she's like, no, I, I don't wear it because I don't have the right to. Like, I have no right to is the phrasing she uses. And Papika asks, oh, can I have my nails done? And Iridori says no. For what it's worth, we'll later see... They make this sound like, oh, yeah, it's it's mixed media. I'm using it in there. But all she's doing is signing her name in the corner with the nail polish from what we can mm. see. Mm. Yeah. And uh, it, it's no- notable that Papika doesn't get her, like, she says she wants the nail polish. And Iridori says no. We find out that she gets her nails painted. <laughs> yes. Quite literally. Because at Flip Flap HQ, Papika's like, yeah, these are great. And 
I think it's Kokona who realizes that's not nail polish, that's paint. So the science team starts like trying to scrub it off her, and it's just causing this huge amount of chaos in the building because she's thrashing and solvent is mm-hmm. getting everywhere. Yeah. But we we're starting to get to the point where pure illusion is background to the characters because we then go to the girls who are all flip flapped out fighting. What if zero two from Kirby had a baby with Dr. Yin's spider monster from Johnny quest? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, civil. You can't say zero two to me. You know what that, where my brain goes, but I hear zero two. Look, that's its name. Technically, it's zero squared once we get to 3D, but... <laughs> oh, that's a good joke. Yeah, oh, yeah, with the um, the Kirby 64 one, when they wrap up the Dark Matter trilogy, the actual 3D final form is zero squared instead of zero two from Kirby's Dreamland 3. Okay. <laughs> it is a good joke. I think that's why they wrapped that whole saga there. Hmm. So, um, anyway, they they're fighting this thing that... Yeah, it's it's a white spider robot covered in eyes, real be not afraid hours, and the, they wipe it out pretty quickly. Papika's in with the shield, gets on top of it, takes it down after uh, Kokona does a distraction, and they get the shard, and they lose the shard because <laughs> Gaika just yep. kills. St- it's a yoink. Why would we uh-huh. do any of the work when you could do that and you never watch your six? Oh, and it's very funny because last time, like we recorded like episode three, they're like, "We dealt the killing blow. Don't we deserve this now?" And now it's like she's just being a hypocrite and saying the opposite. Well, we can take it. Therefore, why shouldn't we take it? Yeah, and so they um, <laughs> they do, but in the process, this okay. I'm trying not to make comparisons to this show, but especially this segment feels the most like a witch's den from Madoka because this whole place is made out of art supplies and they fall through into a cave where there are paintings and sketches and other things on the floor. And this will come up again later, but yeah, I did not catch that this part of pure illusion also had art supplies, but yeah, it's got paint paint stains all over the walls. It's Uh very colorful. It's like they've drawn on the rock with oil paints. Yeah, yeah. And the girls managed to get the shard back at this point. Like they're they're kind of giving giving as good as they're getting. Like they've kind of shaped up a little bit. But then they get distracted by the fact that uh, uh, a black rock gate from Ultima Seven has popped out of the ground. (laughs) Yeah. And so the Guardian tells them, yes, Avatar, you should do that. And they decide mm-hmm. to accidentally put their hands in and get sucked away. Yep. And they, they drop the shard when they do. Uh, yep. Just so that's left with Yayaka and her crew. Uh, Buchan is outside of this thing, not yet enveloped in weird jelly. But everyone's just <laughs> like, uh, what the hell is going on there? Mm-hmm. So as the girls are getting sucked into a, a you know, the second layer of the dream, so to speak, you know, if we're talking uh, Inception, mm-hmm. uh, Coconut turns an orange hue and Papika turns blue and they get separated. Uh, when Coconut comes to her senses, she is now an ele- elementary aged kid uh, sitting on the front porch of a house crying to herself 
and an old older woman arrives and coconut immediately does a 180 on her mood she's very happy now she calls this woman granny and the older woman calls her irochan hmm uh mm-hmm. and it's notable that uh there's a lot of color filtering that happens in this section and uh at the moment everything is going to be or orange filtered like orange colored um but it's worth like if you're watching this make note of the colors in here because they say a lot uh so there's a montage of the two of them spending time together you know they take a bath they make dinner uh at one point coconut is drawing a picture of them uh like of their time in the bath but you know granny comes out and she covers it like oh you can't look at this and she said like oh her parents my parents told me that my drawings are weird and uh they because her parents are shitty people and uh the granny's like oh yeah it's a little weird but i like it you know and then coconut's like great uh i'll give it to you as a gift this is for you it's very sweet yeah and so we it kind of doesn't matter which girl is with granny at any given time right we mostly see this from we, we pretty much see this all from coconut's side yeah but this episode starts slowly peeling off mm-hmm. layer after layer. And so the next visit, Granny has painted her nails. And Coconut says, you know, can I? Well, maybe when you're older. There's more pictures. She's leaving them around Granny's place. We discover the woman was a retired teacher. She's alone at this point. And this is when we start going that extra layer because mm-hmm. it's not send Coconut home to her parents. It's we're going to start following the walk back from Granny's house to her parents. Mm-hmm. And every time we do, there's just some people on the sidelines kind of talking. This yep. is the time we find out that she was a retired teacher, that she's alone. This girl started showing up there. There's this kind of underlying metaphor of, uh, so disgusting, even Mm -hmm. though it's like, what? This woman's just watching a kid. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we hear like the real gossipy part later. I think, I think the first time we see the like other women, like the older women, they're, they're whispering to each other and the granny like looks and notices it, but then kind of keeps walking and doesn't say anything. Yeah. I couldn't remember. There's, Three there's, or four of these scenes. I couldn't remember the order they happen in. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's like two groups of these segments, and like there's a lot of little scenes that happen in it, and they're all like, re- you know, it's hard to summarize because, and you know, you don't want to like hear us talk about like every single bit back and forth, but every one of these little scenes like comes back and is important in like the flow of the episode, which I think is like one of the reasons why I think this episode is so strong is that it's not just one note. There's like several layers to it. Yeah. I, I would have said this is a very quick one to go through, but the storytelling is very different from the rest of the show. On yeah. This episode. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's also stuff that you don't catch first time through that second time around you go, Oh, okay. Yeah. The other thing is, especially in the light of the last episode, this is two women, admittedly, in a very different way, trying to support one another, Mm -hmm. 
and all the consequences of when that goes wrong, what that can do for you. This is the same theme as the last episode, just it's not romance, it's a very platonic friendship. This is BL Metamorphosis Gone Wrong. <laughs> I what? gotta read that one. It's good. Yeah, I, I've heard it's good. I, it's for for those of you who are unaware, BL Metamorphosis is an older woman... 70s? Late yeah, 70s, I think, it's I think the 70s. Start, yeah. Uh, who when she is alone in her older age, starts getting into... I forget the inciting incident. She takes an interest in boys love manga, and she meets a younger woman who is also into it, and so they bond. And the two of them start having their goals align over this, and they make this cross-generational friendship, and it never goes anywhere further. But it's... This interesting development, and you you know as time goes on, and you see time passing as they're, like, trying to prepare for Kamiket because the younger one wants to make her own works, and mm -hmm. all of this builds, and you know it can only end one way, yeah. given, you know, one of them is a now 80-year-old woman, and... But it's it's very touching, and it's just an exploration of what friendship is without having to be romantic there is no undertone of it they're not falling for each other it's just a story of a very different friendship and this is this episode is very much like that mm -hmm. but it's still touching on the themes of if you are the thing that stands out you are yeah. going to be what draws the blows i mean yes i know I, I did a very weak version of the nail metaphor <laughs> well the thing also is that they are supporting each other right like mm -hmm. they're both getting something out of this relationship like yep like the grandmother is clearly looking for any kind of companionship and connection with another person and and the kid is looking for an escape from her home life and you know so it's also this like you know sweet little sanctuary but it's like kind of an escape from the harsh reality that is their their lives when they're not with each other mm -hmm. yeah and the thing that makes the end of this episode so rough is the fact that both of them broke that contract with each other yeah. at the end they right. both held one thing back both out of fear or hurt or whatever and that severs that bond Mm -hmm. Now, I, I wonder I wonder if the reason why Granny originally says, I don't want to paint your nails, is that is that something that is supposed to be a mother-daughter bonding thing? Like, isn't that something like where she feels like she's overstepping her bounds as not a family member to do that? Well, it could be that. It could also just be... It's very hard to tell what time period this takes place over. Mm-hmm. I do wonder if it's, you know, well, you, you don't paint your nails, you don't do makeup until you're a certain age, because it yeah. does look really jarring on a small child as opposed mm -hmm. to someone who's trying to break into womanhood. Right, and yeah. We could we could unpack a lot about that. Uh, I'm not even going to touch on coming to makeup later in life, but <laughs> there's there's a whole lot to unpack there, and it just seems like... A choice was being made until the end, but no one could be honest about what was going into it. Right. 
and I think part of it's also, you know, she's still a yeah. child, right? Like there's just there she's too young to really understand these things. And yeah. she's just there sort of enjoying the company of this this woman she met. Oh and yeah. I don't think either person is a monster in this scenario. No, I just think no, no, both no. of them hold something back. Yeah. And that's what causes the damage that severs the tie. Yeah. Well, well, the the interesting thing also that's going on here is that like when she goes home, like when Graham, uh, Granny drops Coconut off in this first scene, mm-hmm. when the door opens, like no one's home, but the door is unlocked, and inside everything is blue casted, like there's the blue filter now, and there's she goes a up... sort of, it's not quite fisheye because it's not consistent, but a couple of doors in the hallway are drawn at this crooked angle too. Yeah, everything's, like, a little fucked up. Mm-hmm. And she goes up to her room, and her room, in her room, is Papika, who's casted in blue, too, drawing, uh, all you know, papers everywhere, just drawing with a pencil. An otherwise empty room. There's, like, nothing else in here. Mm-hmm. It's just a bare room. And uh, when Papika sees Kokona, she says, you know, switch with me, please, please. Like, I'm Eero. Like, please, let me switch with you. And they end up switching. And the two change colors. Yeah, because Kokona is now blue, uh, like the blue Eero. And she's back at the house. She's drawing in the room. And she tries to show one of her pictures off to her parents, who are, interestingly, they're all they're in orange cast. So, like, mm-hmm. I don't know why, why they are orange. I felt like that was weird. But they, they're having an argument with each other. They're clearly fighting. And, like, <laughs> you know... Like her mom's saying stuff like, like you know, they don't care about the painting, they're like or the drawing. Like, who who cares about that? Why don't you go like study and be good at school so you don't become a failure like your father? <laughs> like, real nasty stuff. And they're drawn like really distorted and stretched out. Um, like the animation on it's like really good, but really you know, it's an upsetting yeah, little scene. They're just shy of squiggle vision in a couple of these scenes. They keep changing shape. Yeah. They're always in motion. They're a little melty. They're not. Yeah. They're off-model in a way that is jarring. Yeah, and it's the only off-model stuff in the, you know, the house, in this house, is the only off-model stuff. Everything outside of it looks normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, this upsets Kokona. She drops the the drawing and runs to Granny's house, and she's trying to, like, sneak in through the backyard. And So let's, let's talk about that drawing for a second, because... Yeah. Uh, she tells Granny earlier that her parents don't like her art. They find right. it weird. Yeah. And the pictures we see when she's with Granny, she's drawing what's stylized. It's, you know, a young child's art, but she's holding up painted nails and the hands are just a little, like, ham-fingered, but they're big in the foreground. Okay, she's kind of got that down. And there's a picture of her and Granny. It's It's childish. The fo- the picture she drops in front of her parents, and it's the only time we see art anywhere around them, so we don't see them call it weird, etc. They're just kind of dismissive. Yeah. It is a really quite well done for the age. It still looks like a child's art, but it's like all three of them, the parents and Iro, mm-hmm. and it's just smiling, and that's it. Yeah. That's the only view we get of them and her art, yep. and it's abandoned. And it was, like, drawn explicitly for them. Mm-hmm. Like, this is like, hey, I'm trying to show you that I'm 
that I'm doing what you want me to, to some degree, or like trying to, you know, conform to expectation a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's very well, again, a lot of layers to this, a lot of like good signaling um, in this episode. But yeah, Coconut runs and tries to switch places with uh, Papika. And she's like, switch with me. I'm Iro. I, I should be there. And Papika just says, Iro is Iro. And Coconut is like, no, please, but help me. And grabs her by the arm and drags her down. They both go tumbling. And then they get thrown out of that world back through the little Stonehenge gate. So they're and back they catch in a again. jelly. They're kind of trapped in this for a second. Yeah, there's like, I don't know why there's just jelly around. <laughs> I don't know if that's supposed to represent an art art thing. I think it's just loose supplies or maybe viscera from the critter. I don't know yeah. where it came from. It was in the earlier scene. Yep, yep. But Yayaka and the twins are still there. They've been sort of hanging out there seeing like, oh no, what happened? Oh yeah, Yayaka basically said like, before they like touched the gate and went through the portal, she's like, "No, don't touch that." <laughs> yeah, so the the male twin just says, "It's it's absolutely nothing." Looking through a computer lens. Yeah, yeah, they don't know where it goes. And uh, yeah, I kind of asked like, what, "What the fuck happened?" <laughs> and both girls are like, "Hey, I was in this place and I was Eero. And the other girl's like, "No, I was Eero. And they're like, "Yeah," because like, "Well, all right, you're fine. I, I'm just gonna leave now." And then. She she had sneak, sneakily swiped the shard with her, and she mm-hmm. and the twins leave. And and now that that part of the deal is done, uh, the girls decide, uh, you know what? I want to find out who Eero is. I want to like resolve this thing. Let's uh, let's go back. And so they decide to go back. And so the uh, the return trip is again. It's hard to tell how much time has passed. I kind of wonder about that because mm-hmm. at this point, Granny is losing details. She is looking for her makeup bag and Eero says, hey, you know, it's it's always over here on the table where you leave it. Like, oh, that's that's right. You're so good. Oh, well, and, one of the, one of the details on this that I caught the second time around when I was taking mm-hmm. notes on this was that she her par- her nails are already painted. Yes, she had already she had recently painted her nails and then forgot that she did that and then also forgot where the where the makeup bag is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, still on the little table. Yeah, like in the middle of the room. And this keeps, you know, hey, she says that Kokona Iro should uh, should have a gift. It's like you you gave me a birthday gift already. It's like well just just accept it, okay? Just take Granny's mm-hmm. gift. We hear the uh, housewives gossip, you know, oh, well, she never had a child, but there's always someone over at her house. Mm. Yeah, and, like, what's going to happen after she dies? Um, yeah. Also, uh, uh, Granny decides to paint, like, um, Kokona's uh, pinky nail. She's mm. just like, oh, you know, she's just like, oh, I'll, I'll paint just one. And yeah. uh, there's, a like, a brief shot, like, without any, like, sound over it. Where uh, you can see Papika is getting yelled at by Papika Iro is getting yelled at by her mother for having her nail painted. Yep, it's a nice little touch. Uh, on another day, uh, Kokona, who is now blue, tries to visit Granny, but no one is home and no one answers the door. And we can we cut briefly to like several days later because 
we, we can tell because the mail slot is like stuffed with mail now, whereas before it was yeah. empty. And she's just sitting at the door waiting for Granny to come home. And her parents had gone looking for her. They find her and they tell her like, no, you got to come home right now. And you, you got to stop coming here. And this upsets Coconut. So she runs away. And while running, I don't know where she would run to, but she's she's just running away and collapses on the side of the road from exhaustion. And she wakes up in a hospital. And now everything is orange. Uh, she leaves her room, the patient's room, and is walking around the halls. And see, she's Granny there. And she follows Granny back to her room. And like I, a noticeable little detail is that there's a little gate in the hallway kind of closing yeah. off this section. Uh, yeah. Like heavy stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, so next we have a heartbreaking scene where granny is like in her, uh, like in her bed and she's clearly disoriented. Uh, like, cause coconut is like, granny, you're here. I haven't seen you. How, how are you doing? And, and she's uh, not using a name. Oh, oh, hello there. She's not using a name. And she goes like, Coconut points out like, oh, here's some of my my drawings are on the wall in the room. And she's like, oh, yeah, a, a student from my from my class drew those. And the principal brought them by. They're the winners of the art competition. And when she says, wait, I drew those. He's like, what? These were from you. Oh, you have you're, a really, you know, you're good, very uh, talented. You're very talented. <laughs> Maybe you'll become a, uh, an art teacher. Yep. Uh, and it's extremely sad. Yeah, and it's it's crushing. It's it's rough. Um, and then at one point she just stops and goes, uh, can you can you tell me your name? And, you know, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't know your name. And all of a sudden, Coconut is blue again and runs out of the room all the way back home crying. So the the two of them are now in the room at the house and. Coconut and Papika are just like, switch, switch with me, switch with me. And Papika's like, there's only one Eero. And the two of them just like get into this very tearful embrace and the floor opens up and they are back in that same pit from before, but just surrounded. Now they are in a visible valley chasm. You can see the sky above them. Mm hmm. There's no longer a house. So at the top, there's a rope bridge back to the gate, a portal back to regular pure illusion. And Papika asks, do you want to go? But Kokona finds she's still got Granny's gift, the bottle of nail polish. And we see the end of that scene where Granny says, if I ever forget who you are, can you tell me your name? And so the two of them clasp hands and head to that head to that uh, hospital room and they tell her their name is Iro, Iroha Irodori. And they are then kicked out back into pure illusion level one. I, I don't want to say reality. Yeah, they're, they're not in reality. They're still in pure illusion. They're still in magical girl form. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, it's also notable that, like, in that scene where they, like, cry together is the first time you've seen them both in the same color. Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean you we've seen like back-to-back -back scenes where they were both orange but like this is the first time they're both together and both blue um later uh the girls back in reality go to the art club room but iridori is not there and 
Pavica still smells the nail polish in the room, but there's no painting on the easel. And, you know, you well, just they're all, all stacked like... up in the corner. And this is where we see that she signed them with the nail polish. Yeah. Uh, instead, they end up finding Iridori in the courtyard who, you know, she's looking off the, the railing into the sunset. And when Kokoda points out that, oh, your, your nails are painted. And Iridori shows them off and says, aren't they pretty? And that's the end of the episode. It's uh, kind of a kind of a jarring end. Yeah, but it also that we will explore more about what that potentially means later, which I think is yeah. really interesting. But like, it looks like something they did in Pure Illusion affected this real world person. And that's got implications. There's a lot about this that could be unpacked. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Like, like I remember this episode being like pretty emotionally affecting the first time I've seen it. And like the second time, it's definitely moved up the rankings for me. Yeah. Uh, like in terms of just how well told the, the actual story bit of it is, even if it's kind of tangential to the broader plot. I, I think the last episode, this one, and the next are probably the strongest this show is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't think it gets bad. I think that when it starts trying to solve its own myth arc, we have a lot less room to play around at things when you have to give hard answers. Right. And, like, this episode had, like, probably the least amount of fan service out of all the episodes, oh, yeah. which is good. Uh, like... I think there's like one shot where we we see that uh, Yayaka has swiped the thing. It's like a shot from behind and it's at a low angle and e. Yeah. But other than that, like that's real brief. But like, yeah, this episode is just mostly like really good storytelling. Um, but yeah, any yeah. other thoughts on this run? It's quite it's quite solid. This is again the core of this series. It's telling you, hey. We could still do the animation stuff, but there's we're gonna get heavy. And yeah, I, it's never going to land as well as this again because we're <laughs> gonna start getting into this is a very human story. And nothing else is going to be this grounded. Yeah, for sure. We don't have a greetings to you in this. This is just age and time and the casual words that can sting you forever mm -hmm. yeah i think like if if the rest of the show were this strong like this would not be a show that has languished in like somewhat obscurity right because well, i feel like the thing yeah there's a series that i could compare this to oh, and it no. would be incredibly cruel but it's basically the same thing writ out over a larger span you're, you're talking this about Priority Aga. No, no, not Wonder no? Egg. Although Wonder okay. Egg is Wonder, Wonder Egg is Egg. a good comparison. Yeah, if you get to a certain point and then stop, <laughs> you're great. Just, um, just don't, just don't watch it. <laughs> um, here's the thing: the first chunk of Wonder Egg is very good. It was on a lot of best of lists for that season for a reason early on. Yeah, it just kind of swerves really hard. Well, it swerves really hard, and also the production fell apart. To yeah. a legendary degree. Mm -hmm. But I was going to say, this is very much a half-speed version of Darling of the Franks, but it doesn't <laughs> go... 
it well it doesn't go as crazy at the end everyone who watched that was like hey yeah this is this is kind of a weird modern take on the ava mecha teenage angst series up until you start piloting a space waifu no but the thing is it's not even good at that part of it either because like it's this real heavy-handed like oh what happens if we you know take advantage of the sexualization of children without <laughs> without really them understanding what that means like i know people who very firmly say you should just watch the first 16 episodes and pretend it ends there like honestly i feel like even halfway through it started to fall apart because zero two becomes a significantly less interesting character as it goes on like it starts off and i'm thinking like oh this is a woman with some type of sexual agency that's usually not what you see in a setting like this but as soon it's literally the taming of the shrew like as soon as <laughs> oh what's his name like the main character like accepts her and like they kind of become like a couple so to speak she immediately dials off all of the the sort of sexual part of <laughs> like interest that she was showing and just turns into a normal like girl who wants you know very pure and it felt like a real like a bit of a like undercutting the premise it had set up but then again it turns basically the whole thing is just a go have kids people like seriously like nerds go fuck <laughs> oh yeah it's you know hate to break it to you shinzo abe but yes 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 there's also I don't know. I haven't watched it yet. It's one of those things that if it gets cheap enough, I will end up purchasing. But <laughs> what? It will. It's oh, such I, a weird I work. I absolutely have to. There's Wait, a so lot you, of you haven't watched the anime? No, I haven't watched any of it. No. No, not a bit. Oh my god. I I know I, I know broad oh. strokes, but that's it. That's why I literally have to say, yeah, people tell me maybe watch to 16, but that's it. I know there's a spaceship in the end just you gotta watch this like <laughs> and i and i also know someone did tell me when the finale came out and that's why this quote has stuck with me imagine if ava ended and it killed kaworu off screen and went yeah turns out the gay had aids oh yeah that's one of the that's one of the things that it does is that like oh god yeah. what they do with the 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 lesbian character is just fucking criminal yeah, that's Ugh. it. That's all I know. I I know it gets a little off the rails. That's it. Boy, uh, they didn't mention <laughs> God. The whole there's just so much we could talk about with Dar uh, Darley Fra. It's like so bad, but like so interestingly bad. Yeah, I I feel like eventually it's going to come up on one of these shows that we do. It has to be like, I I feel like it's it's like shitpost season time if we do that. But like, we yeah. absolutely have to do it. The problem is Chris will never be in the same room as that. Here's the it, thing. If we're cycling people out in the third chair. Well, yeah, yeah. 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 Maybe maybe we'll do it after uh, Chris said I might have a, a third pick in a row. So maybe we do. <laughs> we do Darling yeah. of the Frogs after we do a uh, woman called Fujiko Mina. I'm down. Okay, we might we might decide it right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So yeah, I don't think I don't think the show in my memory of it gets any stronger than these episodes. But like, yeah, these episodes. No, this are, is this is the yeah. strongest. It's like I said, the reason I made that Frank's comparison is 
you remember something that starts out strong and crashes. You remember a Wonder Egg priority. You remember a Darling in the Franks. Flip Flappers is a really interesting experimental series that you get halfway in and it's like, oh yeah, this is building. And then it's it's like an X-Files or something else where it's like, oh, I really didn't enjoy the end of that mystery, but I guess it makes sense. Sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like, if you're curious about the show at all, and like, you get half, like, get halfway through, like, maybe like, get to episode eight or nine. And then if you start getting bored, just stop and then read a plot synopsis and you're probably fine. <laughs> that's kind of yeah, like that's... my summation of the series. Yeah, that's it. It's Flip Flappers is good. It's it's brief. If this were a two season show, if this oh, were 26 bad. episodes, be really this would suck. Yeah, because then after this would be a whole lot of uh, the bad plot stuff. Yeah, imagine, imagine how bad this would be if we had to drag things out, or if we were doing. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I don't think it's negative with what we have, but if we had more monster of the week episodes and it kept trying to do things like that Fist of the North Star one over and over, right? Yeah, the thing is, all of these are pushing forward the main themes, right? Like, yeah, the you know episode four is. You know, Coconut getting closer and more comfortable with Papika and, you know, they're they're starting to do the whole I'll never leave your side thing. Like they're starting to commit to each other. And in, in pure echo, they're like, well, what are the limits of that connection? Like, can we like and they're like, nope, we got to break out of that. We can't just stick to what's yeah. conventional. And then in this, this episode is kind of like a side swerve, but it has implications for like just sort of the relationships you can have throughout your life, you know, and friendship and stuff. And then it has broader implications about what is pure illusion and how does it affect the real world? Yeah. Yeah. We don't know what pure illusion is or what these shards could be, especially if this is all tied to things that are people. Yep. But yeah, with that, Hey, I think we finished under three hours today. <laughs> under two yeah. hours, actually. Hooray. <laughs> I think these episodes have been good so far, honestly. Uh, but we'll be back in two weeks with episodes seven through nine, where we will try out some role play, play with Max, and uh, call your crush by the wrong name. Oops. Never goes well. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> See ya. Bye. <laughs>